0: ready to live at the higher vibrations, where peace, love, joy, and good health are the daily standard? That's what this show is all about. Welcome to Vibe. And here's your host, Robin Openshaw.
1: Hey there, and welcome back. I'm Robin Openshaw, and I'm your host on The Vibe Show. And if you've been following me for a long time, you've probably been wondering why I'm leaving one guy out when it comes to interviewing and digging deep with the clinicians and researchers that have come to the conclusion that eating a mostly or all plant-based diet is the superior lifestyle. And if you have been wondering that, here's the guy's name. His name is Dr. Joel Kahn. He's a medical doctor. He's lived pretty much his whole life in Detroit, Michigan, and he goes by America's holistic heart doc. He's a preventative cardiologist, and a clinical professor of medicine at Wayne State University School of Medicine. He graduated summa cum laude. I think that's the highest one. Yeah, it is. Then there's magna cum laude and cum laude. I never, I never hit summa cum laude. I was always in the second tier. So really, really smart guy. You'll pick up on that. I had, um, I've known him for years, and I've heard him on a lot of shows. If he's on it, I always want to listen to it because I don't know very many people with more recall of the clinical evidence when it comes to nutrition and health and specifically cardiovascular health. So he's a diplomat of the board of internal medicine and he maintains a subspecialty in cardiovascular medicine and interventional cardiology. So he was the first doctor worldwide to complete the metabolic cardiology curriculum in conjunction with A4M and the University of South Florida. He's authored scores of papers that have been published in the medical journals, but he's also written several books. Dead Executives Don't Bonus, Your Whole Heart Solution. Um, There's a sex one. I can't remember what that's called, but his latest book that everyone should get is called The Plant-Based Solution. He's been on Dr. Phil, the doctors. He's been on Joe Rogan, The Larry King Show. He's been awarded a Health Hero Award from Detroit's Crane Business, and he owns three vegan businesses. So welcome to The Vibe Show, Dr. Joel Kahn.
0: Well, thank you very much, good friend and great leader, Robin. And I'm excited to share this conversation with you and your wonderful, vibrant, and enormous community.
1: Well, I, I have been asking myself lately, why have I not had Joel on the show? Um
0: i've been asking my therapist the same
1: thing (laughs) good well it's all settled today you can you know go back to the important issues with your therapist but um i have been i have just been really enjoying listening to you on other shows where you are a walking encyclopedia of the scientific literature published on the plant-based diet um I really want to dive into, this is what I really want to ask you, but I'm going to back up and ask you about your personal story first, but then we're going to go to why... Is there, are there over 10,000 published studies and yet everybody's arguing and pretending like there's no evidence for the plant-based diet? We're going to go there next, but how'd you even get to be the vegan cardiologist decades now? I think you've been eating entirely plant-based. Do you have the labs to prove it, that it's a great way to eat? Tell, tell me more about like when you did that and why you did that. And now you put everybody in your practice on a plant-based diet.
0: Yeah, it's a very emotional story. So I ask everybody to grab a, you know, a, a tissue because you're going to have a tear in your eye. But um, I grew up in suburban Detroit, which is where I am right now. Uh, I have been here most of my life. And I grew up in a home where we honored the Jewish dietary laws called kosher. I didn't do cheeseburgers. I didn't do pork. Um, It wasn't a real uh, observant family, but that was the part we were pretty good with. And when I went up to university, I just didn't want to ditch it. And it was really the first day. It was 1977 before you were born, Robin. And it was University of Michigan in in Ann Arbor, and I walked into the cafeteria in the dormitory, East Quadrangle Dormitory, and they had truly a gorgeous salad bar, and they had food like I'd never seen because my mother was a very good cook, and it wouldn't have met my uh, religious requirements anyways. It certainly didn't meet my visual requirements, and just started grazing the salad bar. I had a cute little thing next to me, my girlfriend, who's been my wife for 38 years, so that kind of worked. And she felt immediately better uh, giving up her mother's home cooking, which wasn't the world's most famous home cooking, but she was a wonderful mother-in-law, now uh, unfortunately gone for a long time. And we felt good, and Ann Arbor was very pro-vegetarian. There wasn't the word vegan that I knew, but pro-plant-based, pro-salad bar. I actually called it the salad baritarian diet. That is a boring story. But that is the story, and then um, I was handed the book A Diet for a New America by John Robbins a few years later, but I had pretty much committed to eating this way all the time. I read that book, it was a wow moment, John and Ocean Robbins, The Food Revolution, and then uh, really just to fast forward, 13 years later, really committed plant-based eater, just out of, uh, made life easier everywhere, generally, even though it was hard back then compared to nowadays, Um, I... Opened my mailbox and there was the medical journal before the internet called The Lancet and there was Dr. Dean Ornish's study called the Lifestyle Heart Trial, uh, indicating at the highest level of science that he had observed and achieved major improvement in heart patients with a uh, almost exclusively plant-based diet, meditation, exercise, and social support, the Lifestyle Heart Trial. And I had just been in practice for three weeks. As a heart attack stent specialist back in Ann Arbor, I had circled the country and come back. And at any rate, I said, This is absolutely phenomenal. So, truly, since July 21, 1990, I've been teaching heart patients that there was another path. Uh, Dr. Ornish came out with a book that year. So, I told him to read that. Fast forward to what, about 2010 Forks Over Knives came out. I told him to watch that. And now, you know, there's such a wealth of great information. So, that's it in a nutshell, and everybody I know is just bawling that uh, that's an emotional story of uh, ill health and recovery. Now, it actually turns out for 42 years, I mean, I'm medication-free. I just turned 60. I have no medical problems. Thank you, Lord. I wake up every morning with more energy than uh, you know the Tasmanian devil, and I'm pretty darn sure this has helped me maintain the kind of insane and active life that I enjoy but requires pretty much on you know 24 7 minus 7 hours and 15 minutes of uh deep sleep measured by my aura ring
1: but but where do you get your protein <laughs> <laughs> i we only start laughing because we've been asked that seventeen thousand times each right
0: of course, of course of course yeah and uh you know that famous meme everybody becomes a nutrition scientist the minute they understand you're eating only plants and uh I like to get my nutrition science from people like Walter Longo, maybe David Katz, maybe, of course, Dr. Ornish, Dr. Esten, Dr. Furman, Dr. McDougall, Dr. Neil Barnard, um, maybe Walter Willett. I mean, but people that are really in the research game, really have research grants, because there's so much noise everywhere else, and it's often not very well uh, suited, educated, or unbi- unbiased noise.
1: Yeah, so I, I have my own take on this, and my audience has heard plenty from me on why um, most of public attention is captured by whatever fad is going on, and whatever the marketers are selling, and what all the ever all the social media posts are, and they they seem to be have gone so wildly astray of what we actually know about nutrition. What's your answer for why most people talking about nutrition these days are talking about? Uh, you know, keto or whatever, and it has absolutely nothing to do with what we know about nutrition. Why is that?
0: Yeah, I think a couple of reasons come to mind. One is I don't think optimal health is so simple. I don't know that it ever was, but I think it's more complicated, let's say that, because we do literally have to pay attention to air quality, air pollution. There is unbelievably massive, serious science going on about air quality and inflammation, diabetes, cancer, heart disease, dementia. I mean, this isn't like subtle association. This is serious. If you go jogging near a highway, if you live closer to a highway versus living a mile from a highway, um, if you measure the parts per million of various factors, uh, it's serious. It's not, the most pointed example was in the 2008 Olympics in Beijing. They actually turned the factories off around Beijing, rather industrial area for about four weeks before the Olympics, turned them back on one week after the Olympics for all the guests. There actually was a major drop in heart attack rates during those five weeks that went right back up. I mean, uh, kind of like the uh, curve in Norway in World War II, uh, that was due to dietary pressures uh, in that country and a drop in death rates overall. So that's one, I mean, water quality. I'm in Michigan. We are suffering not only lead and flint, we're suffering PFAS and PFAS, these, uh, and new uh, alphabet soups that are coming from things like Guard and uh, military bases. And they're actually, we've got this year, it's so sad. Lakes and rivers in Michigan have all kinds of warnings not to eat fish, uh, children not to play with foam, it's all toxic. The only reason Michigan's the center is we're actively testing for it and your state isn't yet actively testing for it. It's everywhere, it's crazy. Plastic bottles and liquid disruptors. I mean, that's part of it, sleep, disruption, Wi-Fi, EMF, and then you get to food, and processed food, and hyperprocessed food, and uh, whether it's plant-based, non-plant-based, the 65% of calories most Americans are eating that isn't food, it's factory slop. And we had an elegant study by an NIH researcher this week, Kevin Hall, that um, if you happen to fill your plate with quote, hyper-processed, kind of vending machine, cafeteria, hospital cafeteria, uh, middle of the grocery store frozen food, the hyper-processed food that tastes so good by chemical scientists. And not only doesn't provide you nutrition, you end up eating 500 calories a day more as you're just striving to find micronutrients. It was a, an elegant, randomized, what's called metabolic ward study. All those pressures. So with that complexity, let alone we're sitting more, you know, we're just stressed apparently more, Uh, And such. Um, You know, the quick fix is going to sound so attractive. The, you know, the good looking six pack or bikini, you know, I got there quicker than you'll get there. I mean, it's the rabbit and the tortoise again. The tortoise is going to win, just like in the fable, but it's not as sexy. It's not as attractive. And until the day comes that we just rip open a packet, and that's our perfectly designed. Factory organic food, and we just forget about farming and forget about animals and all the rest, which you know could be one day. Uh, it'd be a sad day, but could be one day. You know, we have to parse through all this. But you and I know there's a core body of science. You mentioned ten thousand studies that it's unsexy. I mean, David Katz again. I don't mean to quote him twice from Yale. Uh, David Katz, MD, has told me seven years ago. You know, you're going to say over and over, exercise, sleep stress reduction and broccoli, and you're going to be the most boring person when you get interviewed on local TV. But that really is the message and it is the right message. So just stick with it. You know, And that is the truth.
1: Yeah, I think that that is a big part of it is that the fitness industry is all about maximizing protein. And it has had a long, slow effect on people obsessing about not getting enough protein, which is maybe the last thing we need to worry about. Um, but, but you also touched on fish. And I wanted to mention that when I, I've interviewed almost every single one of the, your favorite clinicians and, and practitioners that you mentioned who are all, you know, decades-long plant-based advocates. Um, I asked John Robbins, so you're 70-something now. Do you eat meat? And he said, I do eat fish twice a week. There's even quite a few. Um, I have no dog in this fight. I'm, I'm pretty much 100% plant-based. I don't ever, like, seek out any animal products because I think I need them if I ever do it's because there wasn't anything to eat where I was or wasn't enough to eat um, but he said and, and I've seen this movement in functional medicine more and more practitioners saying don't know if it's true over 60 65 you may need to be eating more uh, like perfect proteins like animal proteins you get are you planning to, to go all the way to 110? With no animal proteins, or do you think that you need to supplement a bit when you get over sixty?
0: Yeah, I'm going to cut back to four days a week at 110, and then keep on grooving through. That's the plan. I got my eulogy written for the year 2150, but um, I'll be just a bionic brain in a box by then, like we all will, according to Ray Kurzweil. But the, you know, just to touch on the protein story, which you actually accurately quoted comes from some research by uh, a woman, Morgan Levine, PhD, who is now at Harvard, uh, was, I believe I'm correct in saying this, in Dr. Longo's lab for a while, Walter Longo at University of Southern California, uh, the Longevity Diet Book and the Fasting and Mimicking Diet Prolon Program, and they've published two papers together, 2014-2016, looking at about 6,500 people looking at uh, dietary detail questionnaires and disease and survival. And younger than 65, less protein, now these were not plant-based people, so the majority of their protein was coming from animal protein, and they parsed that out actually. But uh, under age 65, less protein in the diet was associated with better health and better survival. And after age 65 to 70, there was a flip in the data. It was observational data, it wasn't a randomized trial. And there actually seemed to be some benefit to upping the protein closer to the American recommendation or the Nutritional Society recommendation of 0.8 grams per kilogram body weight. And you know, fish could be a way to get that. Now in those same publications, 2014, 2016, they did um, parse out people that ate more plant-based protein. And there was never a risk to higher amounts of plant-based protein. There wasn't really a need to up your plant-based protein after age 65. So I think we're in a real good place to rely on peas, beans, lentils, perhaps some organic soy uh, products uh, in their natural form, like edamame, Uh, algae. I'm a big fan of chlorella, organic, uh, you know, which is a a food, but we don't consider food in this country very often. Um, You know, green leafies, you know, the highest protein in any plant in the world, actually, I think in any food source is actually algae at about 65%. So you're right, the protein idea is overplayed. The data suggests less is better at your age and my age. Uh, What I'll do at age 75 I'm not sure but I think it's going to be chlorella, it's not going to be cod. Um, Fish has a few clear drawbacks. One is it's what's called a bioaccumulator. Again, unfortunately 2019-2020 is not 1910. There is mercury, there are PCBs, DDT, we have this new terrible chemical called PFAS, Fish, flesh, fish, fat is called a bioaccumulator, more than any other animal species on the planet. Fish will accumulate these toxic, uh, both heavy metals like mercury and these other pops, persistent organic pollutants, and they can have very high levels. And uh, some do, some don't, but you never know. It's not taste, it's not appearance. Bigger fish are more likely to have mercury, so big tuna, big shark big mackerel as opposed to maybe a little perch. But the other pollutants is why there are signs on many lakes in many states, including my state of Michigan, about pregnant women not eating the fish out of the lake because it's just horrible. There is one mouse research study that actually shows accelerated atherosclerosis, meaning hardening the arteries with fish. Uh, the meat world doesn't like to talk about it because there isn't any real solid data that FISH reverses atherosclerosis, so that is the only unique observation. And the last little bit on FISH, but it is interesting. Some of your listeners may have heard of a molecule, a metabolite. You can measure in the blood now, clinically. I've measured thousands and thousands of levels of something called TMAO, TMAO, methylamine oxide. I'm blanking for a minute what T is, which is trimethylamine N-oxide. And in Cleveland Clinic in 2011, Dr. Stanley Hazen, MD, Dr. Wang uh, sat down and said there has to be other things that are causing hardening of the arteries, strokes, heart attacks, erectile dysfunction, a peripheral vascular disease, more than just blood sugar, blood pressure, cholesterol smoking, because there is that rare patient that has advanced disease and all those measurements seem reasonably okay. I'll throw in lipoprotein A, my favorite, and homocysteine. And they identified a molecule, trimethylamine N-oxide, TMAO, they developed a way to measure it, They tested it in humans, they tested it in mouse, bottom line, high blood levels, which are now available through Quest Labs, and I'm not an owner of Quest Labs, I just use them. Trimethylamine oxide is associated with higher risk of atherosclerosis, hardening the arteries. If you're a diabetic, if you have kidney disease, congestive heart failure, heart disease, high levels are very adverse. And they've actually shown it probably actually causes atherosclerosis, it causes our HDL not to work, it causes our cholesterol to enter arteries more rapidly it's a bad bad thing and right now we don't have a specific treatment we get it in our blood really three sources i'll say four sources if you eat red meat there's an amino acid called carnitine not in white meat only in red meat it will raise your tmao level if your microbiome is an unfriendly microbiome we don't know how to test that you can test the blood though if you eat Egg yolk, it's rich in choline, and some choline is good, but lots of choline may not be so good if your microbiome is an omnimore microbiome. Um, If you feed a vegan, vegan food, they won't make TMAO usually. If you feed a vegan a steak, they won't make TMAO because their microbiome isn't adept at uh, converting the steak. This was a research study. The carnitine may be in the food, but the microbiome doesn't know what to do, and it doesn't make TMAO. Fish, a few fish, this is the most important, are rich in TMAO. You don't have to make it in our body. It's in their body. It helps with their balance in deep, deep, deep water. So there are a few fish that are very rich, and the argument from the pro-fish side is TMAO is just a red herring. That's a bit of a joke, but it's a red herring because if fish are so healthy and some fish, they don't distinguish, they just say all fish, but it's not true. Most of the fish people are eating do not have preformed TMAO. But, um, you know, fish must be healthy, and TMAO is a non-issue. It's just a marker of insulin resistance, and it's all about carb-high diets, so it gets back to keto-paleo kind of argument. But it's pretty clear from the Cleveland Clinic, even in an article published this week, that that smoke and the real science says, you know, this idea you just brought up, that at age 65, 70, we need to pack down more protein – might be just fine if you want to up your beans, peas, lentils, algae, green leafies, um, You know, a, a humble white potato is 11% protein by calories, but um, for most of us, we'd still be far better off into our late age, like the famous, I think his name was Elliot Warsham, the cardiac surgeon in Loma Linda who just passed away over age 100, but did heart surgery until age 95. You know, we can pretty much count it's a good program. For the long
1: run okay I totally agree with you that was a great amount of detail that would I would sum up as I might if I ever need to eat more protein I will do that and it probably not will not be fish I can get organic plant foods the ones you've listed a couple times so hopefully we wrote those down if you weren't clear on what plant pro- products or what plant foods are high in protein those are the ones to get more of I would do that versus maybe five years ago I thought that if I was going to eat meat it would be fish. Maybe I said that five years ago. I, I don't say that anymore, not with all the data that's coming out, even in the cleaner waters, in the waters that we've been told, oh, these are where we want to get the wild caught fish. Well, when the wild caught fish have have cocaine in significant amounts in their tissues, we, we have a problem. Can you give your thoughts, um, which my audience may have heard me give my thoughts before about the fish oil industry, because you don't know this, Joel, but... Um, a year ago, a colleague of yours and mine that we both know well called me up to say, I'm not going to support you anymore if you continue to diss the fish oil industry. We need to get behind the supplement industry. And I said, oh, I'm really sorry that you feel that way, but I'm just going to keep telling the truth as I see it. I'm not going to get get behind the supplement industry if I think that they're uh, killing lots of uh, plant life and feeding people billions of dollars of products that don't work. What do you think the research says about eating fish oil tablets for heart disease, et cetera?
0: Yeah. So um, I'm going to backtrack, just clarify one thing I said and dive right into your question. Although it's hard for you and I and your listeners to know what their persistent organic gluten DDT PCB level is. Let's just say you're eating fish and you're now concerned. There are ways to do it with advanced uh, labs called Doctor's Data and Cyrex. You uh, you can find out if you're rich in full uh, again or or um, glyphosate, even Roundup. You can do testing and find out if your body is riddled with this chemical. Which I guarantee you, you have some in your body. But
1: okay, um, Cyrex. Let, let me get that from you again. What labs would they get from Cyrex, and what's the other lab?
0: Cyrex, Cyrex C, in which I have no you know connection. C y r e x Great Plains Labs and doctor's data are the three companies that might offer urinary uh, organophosphate, PCB, DDT uh, levels, Uh, might offer urinary glyphosate, the component of Roundup that seems to destroy our gut and is a major cause of leaky gut, it may be leading to without being too woo-woo, autism and inflammation, atherosclerosis. Um, But the one that's really easy to measure is blood, mercury, lead, cadmium, arsenic levels. You can do it in the hair, not so hard. You can do it in the urine, little more difficult to do it the way that functional medicine practitioners do it because you do it twice baseline and provoke. But a blood heavy metal screen is available at every hospital in America, mainly for like factory toxicity. And I measure that in my patients, it's not the best. It only shows what their exposure was maybe in the last few days. And I can tell you, if I get a patient that tells me I'm a sushi lover and I eat a lot of raw tuna, I can predict to you their mercury level is gonna be 10 times the appropriate level. In fact, I get the state of Michigan Lansing sending me an email. We got a report that one of your patients has a toxic mercury level. Do you think he's being attacked by cyber or you know Russian uh, sources? But it's it's the sushi or it's the salmon. So if you wanna get a good omega-3 level from fish, and eat salmon four or five times a week. Not always, but I, I frequently, I see so much elevated heavy metal mercury, uh, particularly. So that's easy, and if you're eating a lot of fish and you just wanna you know, put your mind to ease, at least ask your doctor at your local hospital for a heavy metal screen in the blood, because that's inexpensive, that'll be covered by insurance for you know, a standard diagnosis like high blood pressure, high cholesterol, If you get those metals out of the body, very often cholesterol falls. That's kind of a natural approach, functional medicine approach, to treating high cholesterol without a statin. And then to move to your question on fish oil, I mean, in some sense, I'm a little bit peaceful about fish oil. I'll just tell you why. When Dr. Dean Ornish, I mentioned the name, constructed the Lifestyle Heart Trial, the first randomized high-tech study, can we stop and reverse the number one killer men and women in America, coronary artery disease, causing angina, causing heart attacks, requiring stents or bypass, and did it in a way that he was examining people with angiography, very high level study, published in 1990, important in my life. He was very concerned that if he put people in the 1980s on a plant-based diet, they would not get enough omega-3. He was trained at Harvard, Harvard was the hotbed of omega-3 research back then. And he was advised by his mentor, peer, chairman, department, Dr. Alexander Leaf, put those people on four grams a day of fish oil. And not a lot of people know that Dr. Ornish's research was done with people on four grams a day of fish oil. It was plant-based. It wasn't strictly vegan from an ethical viewpoint. And it showed the results it showed. So um, when people ask me, is my omega-3 fatty acid fish oil going to destroy my goal to reverse my atherosclerosis or prevent my atherosclerosis, I bring that up. I say... I don't know that it helps, but it appears that it didn't hurt the process when published in 1990. But that was 1980s and 1990. And if you're gonna buy fish oil, please, 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 really read about third-party testing on heavy metals and such. I still don't know if they are testing for PCBs, DDT, organophosphates, these persistent organic pollutants. So I have jumped more and more into the algae-based omega-3 We started seeing them about four or five years ago, Dr. Furman and others, they were very low dose. Now they're getting better. I've seen five to 600 milligram capsules, vegan of uh, algae-based EPA, DHA. A lot of them have carrageenan. I'm not a fan of that uh, red algae product uh, that um, some people believe causes inflammation, but I've been finding some brands now that don't have carrageenan, Um, and I like them, but you're gonna take twice as much because the standard good quality omega-3 fish oil from fish is going to be about a thousand milligrams or more. The best caps out there is about five hundred milligrams. But I have hundreds and hundreds of patients supplementing with algae omega-3. I'll say one last thing: there are a couple cool vitamins on the market now. If some of your audience are strictly, completely plant-based eaters, hundred percent vegan diet, whole food plant-based diet, there's a couple multivites out there. That in one capsule have the amount of vitamin D you might be missing. Actually, many Americans in general the amount of uh, B12 you should be supplementing. The amount of algae omega three, even a little iodine, vitamin K2. Kind of recognize, you know what? Maybe indeed a completely plant based diet has a couple holes in the in the fence, but we can plug it with boop technology, and uh, I favor that because I am, you know, not just about the argument, this is the best diet for everybody and blindly recommending that. I want people to be optimally healthy. And if it is, you know, these whole foods, many organic, great green smoothies, and they have to take a vitamin that has become easier and easier, just one stop shopping, uh, all the better.
1: Okay, what vitamins do you like?
0: Well, there are uh, a few. Uh, Dr. Joel Furman makes a men's and women's multi that's designed for the whole food plant-based 100% eater, but there is no algae omega-3, so you'll have to either eat a boatload of chia, flax, hemp, or add in a, a separate algae omega-3. There is a vitamin out there called Future Kind from Australia, uh, brand new, two capsules a day, does the job, and the one I was referring to is called Complement Plus, uh, Matt Fraser, the no meat athlete, designed it and it goes the D3, the B12, the algae omega 3, but it goes beyond that to a little bit of iodine, a little bit of vitamin K2. And I think it's really kind of a breakthrough to, you know, just say, hey, I want to do this and I want to be healthy, but uh, I also don't want to leave a few pockets. But let me just say, the standard American would benefit from taking some of those because my meat eaters, and I checked their D, their B12, their omega-3 and other things, they were very often very low. So uh, it, it's a, it's been in the news since the 1930s that the majority of Americans have nutritional deficiencies like magnesium because they're not eating any fruits and veggies and nuts and seeds. So it's by all means not only a whole food plant-based diet problem. It's a uh, Western world diet problem when we divorced ourselves from gardens in the backyard and farmers markets and all that.
1: Yeah. I don't know why this is, but I used to be um, anemic and B12 deficient when I used to be a burger eating girl. Um, uh, and I'm not now. I am yeah. i don't have a low hematocrit now, even though I don't eat any animals and haven't for a couple decades.
0: Just beat it. That's B-E-E-T. As, you know, your listeners may not know this, you know, cows don't make B12, bacteria make B12. We make B12 in our colon, but we absorb it up in our small intestine, which is very inefficient, actually. So that's why we need B12 from some food source or a supplement source. You know, the bacteria make it. We don't usually eat dirt. If we started eating dirt, we wouldn't need a supplement. And we wash our carrots so we don't get B12 on the little dirt bombs on the carrot but cows generally don't have those rules if they're out in the meadows. Uh, those cows that are being raised in those factory farms, actually, which is steel floors, it's not natural dirt, do have B12 problems. so what do they do? 90% of the B12 made in the United States is injected into factory-farmed animals to jack up their B12 level to satisfy the American public expectation that plants like B12, animals have B12, but it's another artificial construct, really you know, you're filtering through a cow the nutrition you could get by eating dirty vegetables or, uh, you know, taking a supplement.
1: I think you may have just accidentally told me why, that even though I eat entirely plant-based now, I'm not deficient in either of those, and B12 is very obvious. You were talking, you just talking about beets and then carrots and anyone who would like my hot pink breakfast smoothie I've been having every single morning, unless I'm traveling, uh, uh of the last 20 years it has guess what wait for it unwashed beet and carrot in it i just i buy the organic carrots in fact lately i've been buying the heirloom ones, so my carrot might be yellow or or um yeah. sort of purple or whatever and i don't wash it i don't need to it's organic and so i cut the tops and bottles off throw it in there and a chunk of a beet a chunk of a beet maybe that's why i'm not B 12 deficient anymore even though i haven't eaten animals in 20 years
0: That's right. You know, they say live clean, play dirty, or some such statement, you're eating dirty, which is, you know, keeping your microbiome happy. Good for you.
1: Yeah, so I have to go back and mop up some of the things that you've said that I'm sure I'm not the only one that's going. I got to hear more about that. Okay, green smoothies. I have for years been addressing this question. Why does Dr. Esselstyn say that we shouldn't have green smoothies. I also have to address Brian Clements' arguments. And neither one are actually pretty or very hard, but I'm curious about your take on it because I know that you are a fan of people getting lots of greens in their blender.
0: Uh, I'm more familiar with Dr. Esselstyn and his son Rip's viewpoint. And it's a viewpoint geared. I'm a cardiologist. Uh, They speak to a lot of heart patients specifically. It's really viewed for the sickest heart patient. And the theory goes like this. You know, you want, the, you want your arteries to be healthy, 50,000 miles of arteries in your body. You want the lining of your arteries to be working perfect. That's called your endothelium. There's about seven tennis courts of wallpaper-like lining in your arteries. from the biggest arteries to the smallest arteries and inside your heart. And the magic that your endothelium does is it makes nitric oxide, NO. This magical gas won the Nobel Prize in Medicine in 1998. When you're making a lot of nitric oxide, it could be because your diet's great, arugula, beets, watermelon, pine nuts and such. Uh, Blood pressure's better, sexual performance is better, gut health's better, brain health's better, lung health's better, goes on and on. And if your lifestyle or diet or even some genetic SNPs and such Uh, hamper the ability to make nitric oxide, blood pressure comes up and male sexual function goes down and other uh, organ systems don't function as well. So there is uh, the Nobel Prize in Medicine identified that there's an amino acid called arginine and citrulline that help us produce more nitric oxide. That's why watermelon, particularly yellow watermelon, particularly the rind of watermelon, very rich in citrulline, can help you make more Um, nitric oxide. So putting watermelon in your smoothie is another little tip for cardiovascular health, sexual health, and such. But there's a second system that was found after the Nobel Prize was awarded, which is the dietary nitrate system. You've got a bowl of arugula. You've got a bowl of spinach. You've got a bowl of baby kale. If you slowly chew them in your mouth, you're very mindful. You're into uh, conscious eating. And if you don't use Listerine and Scope type mouth washes, because they are antibacterial, you will have certain, they're called facultative anaerobic bacteria, there's a mouthful, in the grooves of your tongue, this is all, where the where system, and while you're chewing these greens, there will be dietary nitrates, much different than you'll find in bacon, of course, dietary nitrates will interact with the bacteria, they will be converted from nitrates to nitrites, they will circulate down your intestines, they'll be absorbed, and in the blood they're converted to nitric oxide. So if you slowly chew and allow nature's amazing system and don't impede it with these antibiotic mouthwashes, you have another way to make more nitric oxide, better blood pressure, better health. There's lots of studies. That's where the beet juice, beet powder comes in. That's where greens and such come in. So the argument is from the smoothies is that, you know, you make a beautiful smoothie in the morning and, you know, you're in a rush and it's down. There may not be enough time. For this chemical reaction in the grooves of your tongue to happen. now I've heard people talk about chewing your smoothie, chewing your juices. I call mine a chewy. I actually don't run my blender very long. I like it to have a little bit more of a texture, so I do slow down a bit. It's not, you know, juice-like. It's more uh, a, a particulate-like, but And that is the argument from Dr. Esselstyn's standpoint. Uh, I mean, I'm treating advanced, sick cardiovascular patients to the brain, to the heart, to the legs, to sexual organs, and I'm bypassing one of nature's gifts. He, of course, advises people to eat green, sauteed, balsamic about six times a day and many of my patients, and I advise them to do that if they're very sick. But most of us are not very sick heart patients, or at least we don't think we are in terms of symptoms. There is this magical second system. That if you do just down that green smoothie, dietary nitrates, they still, it's amazing. They can be absorbed, but they're not going to create nitric oxide. They get circulated back through your parotid gland, your salivary gland. Who designed this thing should win an award for uh, elegant design. And Actually, through your saliva duct, the dietary nitrates show up on your tongue again. It's a recirculating system. So this time they 're just being trickled on your tongue what 's on your tongue, the same bacteria, so there is this second chance to create the same chemical reaction nitrates and nitrates, swallow them, absorb nitric oxide. so maybe it's not a hundred percent as efficient as the slow chewing of the whole food, but it's still going to happen, and it still benefits and you know. What I'm concerned is that if it's not that smoothie, they're getting a breakfast sandwich or they're getting a bagel with cream cheese, you know, and they're doing some other options. So I would always, I'm a practical guy, you want to make a smoothie, make a smoothie, you know, chew it a little, make it rough if you want, but uh, be confident that you're still going to benefit in terms of this nitric oxide production, which um, is kind of a tangential topic, but there are ways to actually test it. My patients, my clinic have a blood test and another test for uh, their adequacy in nitric oxide production. There's even a little test strip. It'd be very cool, actually. Uh, maybe I'll talk to you about after Robin. There's a test strip made by a company and within about 10 seconds, you can tell if you're making it of nitric oxide and you know, does a smoothie girl make lots of nitric oxide? By your glowing, healthy look, I would bet yes.
1: Interesting, and especially interesting because as you're talking about Dr. Esselstyn, it reminds me of how uh, the damage to the epithelial lining and uh, producing nitrous oxide is a big um, thing that he talks about a lot as a mechanism for why we shouldn't eat any animal products. But also, and this goes to your point, it's the same point I often make when people are saying, "Wait a minute!" Like Dr. Esselstyn, Dr. Furman say, you know, Furman says two pounds of vegetables. I actually, agree with that. Um, And I bet you and I both eat uh, two pounds of vegetables on an average day, vegetables and greens, if we can lump those together. But he uh, actually talks about um, how eating any kind of oil damages epithelial and decreases your nitrous oxide. So I'm really glad because I do occasionally saute something in oil. And I have people who are really anxious about that once they've read that from Dr. Esselstyn, but that's my answer too. Dr. Kahn is my answer as well. He's dealing with people nearing death if they don't turn around major cardiovascular problem. For you and I, maybe a little more Mediterranean approach. I mean, millions and millions of Mediterraneans outlive the millions and millions of others of us who don't eat their diet and they seem to have oil in their diet. What do you think about that?
0: Yeah, so since you bring that up, and man, that's a sticky topic. So, I mean, the science started, I think this is fair to say. I had a mentor at University of Michigan Medical School, Dr. Robert Vogel, MD, V-O-G-L. He's a cardiologist. He's in Denver now. And he moved to Baltimore, and he did a study, very famous. He did a most famous study. It's called the uh, Sausage Egg McMuffin Study, and that's what we're talking about for a minute. But he had a mechanism to take healthy people, volunteers, put a device on their arm and measured the health of their endothelium. And then he fed him a bowl of oatmeal and it didn't impact in a negative way their endothelium. Then he fed him a sausage egg like McMuffin on another day and within an hour and then persisting for seven hours, it damaged their endothelium. And he made the point, well, that's his breakfast. What are you eating at lunch? KFC? What are you doing at dinner? Hardee's. You're probably walking around more than half the day with damaged endothelium year after year after year. That's hypertension, atherosclerosis, and Western illness and it's uh, you know food as a poison, um, but then he went on to do the Mediterranean diet study, and you know the general perception that compared to a bad American diet, the uh, whatever the exact Mediterranean diet is, because uh, it's probably less red meat, maybe fish, uh, olive oil, lots of whole grains, fruits and vegetables, and whole grains are in the standard, I don't know, whether it's pasta or farro and such. Um, And he said, I'm going to isolate them. I'm going to feed people fruits and see what happens. to Their endothelial function, all good. Feed them vegetables, all good. Feed them grains, all good. Actually, he fed them fish. I hate to say it. They didn't have a deterioration in their endothelial function. That was part of the study. And then he fed them two kinds of oils. And man, you're going to get upset with me. He fed them canola oil as a control, didn't damage Uh, didn't cause temporary damage to their endothelial function. And then he gave them uh, extra virgin olive oil, and it did cause their endothelium to drop in function like the sausage egg McMuffin. And that is probably the seminal study, elegant study published in a good journal that Dr. Esselstyn points to, but there's probably 40 olive oil studies. And if you were to put them all together, I'm gonna tell you, it's confusing. Um, There's My classic study is olive oil dropped endothelial function, somebody confirmed it, but if you have olive oil with a glass of red wine and you measure endothelial function, it was neutral. Maybe the polyphenols, the antioxidants, the vitamin C in red wine uh, to some degree neutralizes it. So um, I have heart patients like Dr. Esselstyn and I totally respect and love Dr. Esselstyn. And I absolutely counsel them on a no-oil diet, and it becomes difficult in restaurants, but they just tell people, I'm allergic to oil, and I need an oil-free menu. As you know, Robin, I own three restaurants, and we have extensive oil-free options because I just have a lot of people that come and see me from my clinic into the restaurant we want to provide that for. But it has created a tremendous sense of anxiety for many others, and I love uh, probably a little bit more the approach that Dr. Dean Hornish has, which is, he called a book, the spectrum. You know, here you got the horrible American diet. Here you have a whole food, plant-based, maybe even organic diet with little or no oil. I mean, where are you both in terms of your health and the very sick heart patient needs to gravitate to the very end of that spectrum. And absolutely, the number one book that I give patients to read in my clinic is Dr. Esselstyn's book, And if they're very sick, I say, this is exactly what you need to do. And if they're not sick like that, I say, this is the extreme, which is absolutely ideal for certain people in my practice. I just want you to know that that's there, and we'll talk about where on the spectrum you're comfortable with. I'm not going to judge you unless you're very sick. Um, So uh, I I have hundreds of patients that are oil-free patients and do very well. The example is always Okinawa in okinawa japan one of the blue zones exceptional longevity in the 40s and 50s their uh, percentage of calories from fat in their diet was under 10 percent their olive their oil use in general was almost absent and they had exceptional health as part of their program they had activity they had fresh air they had fresh water they had fresh food they weren't smokers to any degree when they were at their prime of longevity so it is possible they have a very well constructed very low fat no added oil diet and do exceptionally well and the okinawans are not the only example but the the easiest example uh but the the, does the general public have to have anxiety i will say some of your listeners have autoimmune disease i'm a big fan of dr brooke goldner md veganmedicaldoctor.com a book called beating lupus it was a much better story than me because she actually had very severe lupus at age 15 And by age 26, every biomarker in the blood was gone and has, you know, very simple rules, eliminate processed oils, eliminate processed food, add in fruits, vegetables, and tons of omega-3 rich flaxseed type foods, drink lots of water, uh, get lots of rest. It's a very simple book called Goodbye Lupus, and I'd encourage people to look at it. So it's not the only organ system being heart disease. But if you're battling lupus, rheumatoid arthritis, Sjogren's disease, and other autoimmune thyroiditis and such, you might want to adopt the spectrum all the way over there. Uh, and there's other examples, even now some examples in advanced kidney disease. There's your spectrum, because you're sick. When you're sick, you need to adopt perhaps the most uh, religious and observant of diets. So Dr. Esselstyn's right for the population that comes to Cleveland to see him, but is he right for everybody listening? I Think it's a difficult program when you're healthy and just looking for optimal uh, and uh, somewhat enjoyable lifestyle.
1: Okay, so lots of great information there. And we'll make sure to link you to Dr. Brooke Goldner's book, Goodbye Lupus. That's a new one to me. I'm going to get it and read it. I don't have lupus, but.
0: It's amazing. And she loves smoothies.
1: Does she? Awesome. Well, let's go, let's have a light question here. I'm going to tell you what's in my smoothie. You tell me what's in yours. Today, I had made my own sprouts out of um alfalfa radicchio seeds fenugreek something else four seed mix and and so I dumped about a cup of those in with about a cup of organic aloe aloe vera and a little knuckle of fresh ginger and then just all kinds of Costco greens and some purple cabbage and then a banana and some organic berries what 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 do you put in your smoothie?
0: yeah, I'd say about half the days a week, I do a smoothie half the days a week, I skip breakfast either because the scheduler I like to skip breakfast despite some concern that breakfast is an important meal for heart health. It's been in the news the last four weeks, uh, but nonetheless I'm not as elegant as you. There may actually be black beans in my smoothie i I do that and I say, Dr. Gundry, take that, and I just put them in I, uh In my blender uh, often a a michigan brand called eden foods which even dr stephen gundry endorses are pressure cooked and organic and the can is not lined with bpa so i like that it's a michigan brand i like that it's gotten a lot of attention uh a lot of flaxseed hemp hearts or chia seeds Uh, usually arugula i don't know why i just love arugula i like bitter foods and then a lot of blueberries to counter that and then spices and i'm done I, i like nutmeg cinnamon allspice uh, sometimes a little turmeric, um, some milk. Oatly is my favorite lately, the oat, mi- the oat milk, Oatly. Uh, but whatever I've got in the fridge, some just water, a couple ice cubes done. I mean, I really try to move it. I don't often put protein powder. I have, you know, a range of them. Uh, my wife reminds me how many canisters I have in the cabinet of, you know, pea protein and Sacha inchy seed protein and the rest pumpkin seed proteins. And they're lovely, but uh, I don't often take the time to do that.
1: Okay, so you mentioned uh, Dr. Gundry, and one of my favorite things about you is that you just go head to head with all these people that um, I think that we th- disagree with, we disagree with based on the evidence. And Gundry has had two New York Times bestsellers last few years telling people things that I believe are almost categorically false or taking a very small truth and making it this global truth. And so I would love for you to, I'm going to go through a few different things and have you just comment briefly on uh, Dr. Gundry and the idea that lectins in beans and legumes, uh, all the different kinds of legumes there are, are going to kill us. Also, also um, in nuts and seeds. So I'm going to go start with Dr. Gundry and the plant paradox, and then I'm going to have you hit quickly on keto and carnivore and maybe we'll we'll finish up with you talking about how much dr longo's work has impacted you we're also coming out with a sort of a modified fast six to eight hundred calories a day of organic plant-based stuff i love his work i just want to provide a much cheap cheaper package that's also organic and so we're coming out with the flash fast in the next couple months. So we'll kind of go in that order. But back up, you mentioned Gundry. You've gone into many public debates with guys like this, whereas most of the, you know, the plant-based folks I think would refuse to do that. And you two have had a very civil, respectful dialogue. What do you think about Gundry's work?
0: We did till I bumped into him three weeks ago in Austin at Paleo FX. Uh, vegan attended and actually I spoke at Paleo FX because I do have a lot of friends across the aisle.
1: I heard I heard you were there and I was like, somebody said, there's a vegan here. I was chit-chatting with someone because they were like, are you coming to Paleo FX? And I'm like, think about that for a minute. You know what yeah. I do, right? Like paleo, really? And she's like, well, there's a there's a vegan cardiologist here. I'm like, has to be Joel Kahn.
0: <laughs> yeah, I was on a panel with a person we both love, Dr. Kellyanne Petrucci, who most famous for bone broth and Dr. Sean Baker, who is a carnivore. And, uh, Dr. Gabriel Lyons in New York City, who's quite the meat advocate for protein. But um, it was actually very civil, I think a very good conversation and uh, took down some of the heat. Uh, in fact, a whole lot of people that blocked me on Twitter unblocked me because they realized I wasn't a giant anus. But getting back to your question, um, very quickly, if the audience has lived under a rock the last two years and hasn't opened social media anywhere to see ads everywhere. Dr. Stephen Gundry, was a very well-trained heart surgeon. I'm a heart doctor, he's a heart surgeon. I do stents, he does bypass. An amazing career in Loma Linda, of all places. The blue zone that favors plant-based eating. And then he went to Palm Springs, became a celebrity doc via a place called We Care Spa and other places. And he wrote a book a few years ago about Dr. Gundry's diet. But then two years ago, the story goes, a patient named Big Ed having all kinds of problems nobody could fix, came to Dr. Gundry, overweight and inflamed. And when you remove the killer lectins, these, these chemical products that are not just in plants, but they're in meats, they're in nature, there's hundreds of different kinds of lectins, um, anti-nutrients, killer, if you eat five red kidney beans, you will die because they're so bad for you. And it is true that legumes, a higher than lectins in their raw state than many other food groups. He designed a diet that the biggest focus of the Plant Paradox was a lectin-free diet. Of course, it was a lectin blocker vitamin for $90 you could buy. And it just captured the public. It was actually, I think, on the New York Times bestseller list for 38 weeks. It's been translated into 34 different languages. I got when I read the book actually with interest. I didn't know that much about Dr. Gundry. I read the book with interest and you know I started looking at the references because he'd quote a really interesting study to support his bizarre viewpoint. Go to the back of the book, pull up the reference, and it didn't match. And right at that time, very famous researcher, Dr. Colin Campbell from Cornell, author of the China Study, he published a paper that he had looked at about 20 or 30 of the references in the book, and they were like fraudulent. You know, you can't he's an MD with a public trust, but it was like fraudulent. I think that's actually fair to say. Um, more recently, about six weeks ago, a PhD named Stephen Guyanet actually analyzed the entire book in incredible detail and said the accuracy of the science in the plant paradox book was 26%. If you go through the references, you go through the science, 74% of the book I think could authentically be called fraudulent. Okay, assume sue me, Dr. Gundry. It's just the science and uh, the analysis. And then I debated him on the doctor's show and we went at this hard and I talked to him about the references. This was a year and a half, two years ago. It's on YouTube. You want to look it up? Uh, It's well worth watching five minutes. And he just got all flustered. Look at a Harvard medical student did my references. I can't believe they're all that bad, but I've been hearing that. I'm going to do better. So the book was a killer success. And the vitamin line does hundreds of millions of dollars a year, and he's everywhere. So he did come out with a book recently called "The Longevity Paradox" with a couple figs on the cover. And I eagerly—I didn't want to buy it, but I bought it. I read it, hoping that he actually had improved the quality of his research. I'm here to tell you, I didn't check every, but there's the say you can't, as a doctor, make a major statement and quote a book without quoting the page number. So you know, there's no way to ever track it down if it's a 400-page book. Where can you look to verify huge sections of his? Platform have no references. He thinks fruit is evil. He thinks apples are evil in this book. Actually, beans got rehabilitated. He's now okay with beans as long as you buy these eating food beans. Where'd where all that go? But uh, our enemy are fruits, particularly. And just uh, it goes on and on and on. And um, he does dislike meat in the new book. So, uh, I mean, at the end of the day, if somebody eats his program, they're not going to be at Wendy's, Harvey's, Burger King, and KFC. Hooray. Nobody should be there anyways. Nobody's going to be drinking Coca-Cola and Pepsi if they follow his program. But, you know, it's not a science-based program. The last thing just to say, he says over and over in both books, I've published data on my program. I have published data. public." It sounds great to the public, but go try and find it. And if you find it, it's a little square paragraph called an abstract that has all kinds of mistakes in it. So bottom line is he's an emperor in my view that wears no clothes, but he's, he's handsome. He's articulate. He can tell a story like father time or Santa Claus, like no other. Uh, He's traveled the world. And for reasons I don't get people like Tony Robbins, who's sort of in the news right now, not so positively uh, Dr. David Perlmutter, Dr. Dale Bredesen, these people all endorse him. They're all part of the same, We can sell 3 million copies of a book and Retire Club, and uh, unfortunately, the latest book has an endorsement by Dr. Walter Longo in the back. It grieves me, and I can tell you, Dr. Longo never read the book. I've asked him about it. I said, that was a a mistake, because to be honest, he sort of copied the fasting mimicking diet into his book without uh, paying appropriate uh, attention and royalties, because Dr. Longo has it all patented. So. Whatever, you know, the world will go on and one day uh, there'll be another Gundry that rises. I think that kind of answered the topic. Um, you know, then you said what's so special about Dr. Longo? And I have no, you know, real connection with him. I've met the man, spent some time with him. But this is a man that's been in a research lab doing basic, basic biochemistry and yeast and mice and earthworms and now some human clinical data funded by the NIH, our National Institute Health. million of research have gone into Dr. Longo's extensive labs in the United States. he has got other research labs in Milan, Italy, now doing work on fasting and nutrition and cancer and brain disease and diabetes type two. And, you know, the next few years, you're going to see so much, you know, high quality. His science is so high quality. It's not little paragraphs that have mistakes in them. I mean, the the ends of the spectrum between a Dr. Gundry and a Dr. Volter Longo are as polar as they get in terms of quality. And he has this big picture, last thing I'll say, that nutrition is a tough field. You know, we all recognize that. The the paleo-keto world will say all these epidemiologic studies are worthless. Well, Dr. Longo said they're not worthless. you got to have basic biochemistry. Is meat good for aging? Is meat bad for aging? He's done most of that research on that, bottom line, not very... Uh, anti-aging to eat lots of red meat is in randomized studies of which there's only a few things like meat pro-health anti-health and in a lot of randomized studies there you see inflammation and insulin release and cholesterol rising and other factors how about epidemiology are we going to throw out thousands of studies on millions of people let's take a look at it let's look at what centenarians what the 100 plus crowd eats and not the carnivore diet Uh, It's a whole lot of whole food plant-based variety of diets that are not the same, but they have a common thread being very plant-strong. And lastly, he talks about like a big picture view. What's it doing for the environment and all And We know that plant-strong diets are better for the environment and the planet we live on. So that's why I just admire Dr. Longo. It's a scientist versus a physician with a very strong sales viewpoint.
1: Okay. We did um, we did interview Dr. Longo probably early last year. I wish I could recall the exact episode number, but make sure you go back and listen to that because uh, what Dr. Khan is referring to is his five pillars of nutrition science, where he doesn't take this myopic view. He takes all the views and put them puts them together in a framework. And it sounds like you feel pretty strongly that it's a good framework to look at. Am I right?
0: It's a great framework used by many other very high level scientists, Nobel Prize winning scientists, they don't even know they all use the same structure. But I just happened to notice in a variety of lectures, oh, Dr. Michael Brown, who won the Nobel Prize for Cholesterol in 1985, he talks exactly the same framework that Dr. Longo does. In fact, I introduced them to share the fact that they have come across a very similar approach. Now, you know, Dr. Longo will go like this, keto diet, that's half a pillar. There's a few people say they feel better, but there's nothing else to support
1: it. In other words, what you're saying is that it holds up to half of the the five pillars. And what he wants to do is if you're going to really invest in a diet and you're going to make a lifestyle change and you're going to commit to a specific way of eating, you want it to hold up to five different pillars. Is that what you're saying?
0: It would make sense to look from a very high level at all the data and not uh, throw out a whole lot and isolate a whole lot right. Absolutely.
1: Okay. So Longo would say about, we already have his quote about keto. We have a quote you gave, even though I hadn't interviewed you yet, but just from talking to you and being friends with you, I got a quote for you. It's actually, I believe in the tens of millions of words that we've published on Green Smoothie Girl the last 13 years, I think it's the longest blog post I've ever published on 22 health experts debunk the ketogenic diet. It's not that I have an axe to grind, you know. It's not like I'm selling a fad diet and I want to compete with their fad diet. It's that I think it's actually downright dangerous. Do you feel that strongly about it? What, what's, how would you? What, what are the most salient facts you would want to share with someone who's considering doing the high meat or high animal fat diet?
0: Yeah, you know, I would introduce them to Dr. Longo's uh, five pillars, Dr. Michael Brown MD's four you know, foundational aspects of nutritional science, um, but I would actually tell them to go a bit deeper. So my greatest concern right now uh, as a doctor advising patients is the keto diet. Honestly, the paleo diet, which was very hot the last few years, it's not out of the picture, but uh, for some reason it hasn't remained as sexy as it was. Uh, you know, we can eat like our ancestors fifty, hundred thousand years ago, we can give up dairy, we can give up grains, we can give up legumes and our health will flourish. There's really a strange thing going on because some of the paleo people have added back some dairy, have added back some legumes, uh, rarely grains, they're pretty strong in grains. And the very founder of the modern paleo movement is a guy named Boyd Eaton, MD from Atlanta. He's a radiologist, but he wrote a paper 34 years ago announcing that it might make sense to follow this ancient diet that our ancestors ate for optimal health in a modern world. He announced three years ago, stop doing the paleo diet, we're ruining the world. He actually said this in Boston in November 2015. And I'll let you guys know when you can resume the paleo diet when we figure out how to do it without destroying the environment. It was like insanely uh, important turnaround that of course you're never gonna see in a blog post by Dr. David Perlmutter or somebody like that, uh, the brain grain guy. But the keto diet worries me. The keto diet was developed for a variety of medical indications and in children, and there were medical reports, and there were side effects, and there were warnings. And somewhere in the last 10 years with Halle Berry and LeBron James and Hugh Jackman and Kim Kardashian, and then a whole lot of docs and all, it's you know the hottest food trend out there. Because we know, Dr. Atkins showed us, and it's reformulated Atkins, you can lose weight quickly. If you drop your carbs and up your fats and eat a lot of animal products, you'll deplete your glycogen, you'll get some water out of your body, and you got a wedding to go to, and uh, you're going to fit in your tuxedo or your dress. It works. But what about two months? What about six months? And there's very, very few ketogenic diet studies that go two years or more. There is a body of data out there, and nobody talks about it when they promote keto. There's 10 studies. They're epidemiology. We all know that's not perfect. We asked 25,000 people in Greece what their diet was, those that described their diet in a way that the uh, analysis said was a low-carb, high-fat diet, and we followed them for 20 years. They used to be healthy. There was an increased rate of death in Greece by doing the low-carb, high-fat diet. They didn't call it keto, but it, by its design, it was uh, similar to what a lot of people are doing by you know, eating the burger and taking the bun off rather than throwing them both away and having a bowl of beans or something. There's 10 of those studies that involve more than half a million people. Time after time after time, increased death rate, increased death rate, increased death rate. If you've had a heart attack and you adopt a low-carb diet, you have an increased rate of heart attack recurrent and death after the initial heart attack. So there's cardiologists advising the low-carb diet. I actually think they should get patients to sign a permission slip that says they're aware that there's reports of increased death rates and it's a way of better data they're doing this for some other reason, their waistline, their blood pressure, and they recognize the risk, just like any therapy that has a known downside. I've written a blog called The Low Carb, High Coffin Diet. I've written another blog called The Skeleton and the Ketogenic Diet Closet. Um, it's not my science, but by putting it all together, and now Walter Willett at Harvard School of Public Health talks about it and others. I mean, that's the biggest risk to me, and that's why the US News and World Report puts the ketogenic diet and the Whole30 diet, which is a version of it and such, at the lowest recommendation for long-term diets of any diets in the United States, year after year after year. It's concerning.
1: Yeah, I appreciate you speaking up on it because, you know, surveys say that the most common answer people will give when asked what is a paleo diet or what is the ketogenic diet is that they eat more vegetables. And while they may actually eat more vegetables because... Pretty much anything is better than the standard American diet. The fact of the matter is we took this paleo diet, which people for some reason keep calling it a plant-based diet, and they'll call a keto diet a plant-based diet. And I'm like, this is how far afield we've gone, that the vast majority of us eat so few um, whole plant foods that when they go on keto, where 70% of their calories are fats and most of them animal fats um, they are literally eating more vegetables than they were before. So I think like, that's the thing that never gets talked about is, okay, are you eating more? Ve- the, you know, it, it, Are you feeling better because it's better than the standard American diet you were on before? Or are you feeling better because eating 70% fats is actually good for you? And I, I think that's something that we need to be really careful with. And we need to ask, uh, we need to ask of these, of these, uh, diets. I saw, um, I saw that you shared my blog post the other day. Thank you very much. It was um, It's called 11 Astonishing Claims of the Carnivore Diet, and I think what you're saying is, okay, you know, the paleo diet was just the rage for close to a decade, and, you know, we're all friends with the fact that it banned processed foods, however people eating paleo are often eating twice as much animal protein or more as the standard American diet. So we went from the frying pan to the fire. I feel like with, with yeah. paleo to keto, we went from the fire to the fire with gasoline. I'm not even sure what to say about the carnivore diet, but you mentioned, mentioned Dr. Sean Baker, and he's one of the ones I quoted most often in the 11 astonishing claims of the carnivore diet, and then we go on to uh, to debunk all 11 of those claims, which is actually like shooting fish in a barrel, um, pun intended. It was so easy, so easy to completely dismantle their argument with evidence. What do you have to say about this new rising fad?
0: Yeah, you know, the carnivore diet analyzed by Dr. Longo's five pillars would be a quarter pillar because it relies on some anecdotal reports of improved health. Dr. Sean Baker is an orthopedic surgeon in Albuquerque, New Mexico, lost his medical license I think he has it back at about 52 years old. He served our country in the military. I don't hate the guy, but when I started noticing him on social media, we went at it a bit, then I got on his podcast and we were friendly, then we went at it a bit. And he was on the panel at Paleo FX in Austin uh, recently with me. And uh, he's, unfortunately, he's a brute of a guy. I mean, he's six foot five, six foot six, 250 pounds. He holds a few world records in rowing. He held all those before he adopted the carnivore diet, a diet that recommends nearly completely meat. We're talking prime rib for breakfast, prime rib for lunch, prime rib for dinner. Um, no sources of vitamin C. Some people eat some greens, some people eat nothing but meat, they claim. You know, there was one research study in the 1930s of two scientists that somehow survived a year in reasonably good health eating only meat. Uh, and then there, since then, there's really no science but there are prominent people. There's Jordan Peterson, the author of a book, a self-help psychology book, that was worldwide bestseller, his daughter, Michaela Peterson. Uh, Jordan had depression. He claimed I got better on an all-meat diet. Michaela has juvenile rheumatoid arthritis, very advanced at age 22, 23. She claims she got a lot better. So you've got that kind of report. I don't deny that these seem to be credible people. I don't know if they went to True North and did a water fast followed by a whole food diet, or did the Green Smoothie Girl, you know, program or something. They wouldn't have had the same or better. I do worry. Two, three, four, five, eight, ten. You know, cancer doesn't develop in a week, and heart disease doesn't develop in a week. And you know, as they maintain this diet that's clearly horrible for the environment, and I fear may not be optimal for them. Or, or maybe we live in such a screwed up world. That they can avoid some biotoxicity. some and those chemicals I talked about at the beginning uh, in meat, but they often don't eat organic meat. Uh, it's too expensive. They're talking about just going to your local, you know, Albertsons and buying whatever's there, which is even scarier than uh, the whole world. So, I mean, from a science standpoint, it's not even worth the breath. But from a popularity standpoint, uh, it's a it's a roller coaster right now. Uh, Maybe, just as I say, we've screwed up the food chain so much, it's one more place to hide short-term, whether it's going to actually be anything we talk about in five years. I sincerely hope not.
1: Well, it'll be interesting to find out, and I hope you and I speaking up about it everywhere we get the chance to, we'll make, we'll make a difference in just pulling people's attention back to the known, true principles of what we need to be eating to avoid all this heart disease, your specialty, autoimmune disease, cancer. Um, thank you so much. You've been an absolute fire hose of information. The show notes are going to be very, very rich from this. Our interview with Longo, Dr. Walter Longo's number 74, that'll be in the show notes as well as a number of the other, uh, references that Dr. Joel Kahn has made here. Tell our listeners where they can learn more about you and tell them about your latest book and some of your favorite books that you've written. Cause you're a multi-time author as well as a three-time restaurateur.
0: Yeah. If you go to drjoelkahn.com, D R J O E L K A H N.com, there's a link to my clinic in Detroit, but I see people all over the world. There's a link to my restaurants. There's a link to some articles and videos. But I'm really active on Twitter, Instagram, Dr. Joel Kahn, America's Healthy Heart Doc on Facebook, but D R J K A H N on Twitter and Instagram. My last book was called The Plant Based Solution, it happened to be on my desk. Out about a year, good book, about three quarters science, one quarter, many, many recipes. Uh, There'll be a new book coming out next year on a cholesterol issue. And then Green Space Cafe in Ferndale in Royal Oak, Michigan, and a food truck in Austin, Texas called ATX Food Co. on Barton Springs Road is where you have to eat at least once. And, uh, you know, I'm so glad to be introduced to, you know, you. I respect so much what you've done, the business you've built, the
1: message you've
0: created, the firm stand for reasonable discussions and it's god knows refreshing and helps so many people
1: oh it's my pleasure and thank you so much for giving me this time today i've learned so much from you i always do dr joel Kahn.
0: thank you we'll see you soon i hope